You know, maybe it was thinking about grandparents did that Sarah had this on Sarah's mind. She wanted to be able to keep the keep the swing as Andrew played in jazz band for grandparents' day. But for whatever reason, Sarah has been asking me for months how to teach her to snap her fingers. And for whatever reason, she wants to learn it after the bedtime story, after the lights go down. Dad, can you teach me how to do it? And it's always, it was always, it was, like you're actually trying to make noise and you can't. Why can't we get that to work in so many other different scenarios? Until one night, we're lying next to each other and, and it cracks. She's like, oh. I'm like, all right, she's never going to sleep for tonight. That's for sure. Some things in life, we just wish we could just snap our fingers and poof. There it is. If we got to deal with change, as we've been talking about these last couple of weeks, at least those that I've been here, sometimes we wish we could just snap our fingers and it's done. Might, if it's, if it's got to happen, it might as well be quick and preferably painless. And then we can just move on. I laid out the kind of sometimes despairing truth two weeks ago. We realized that besides the whole death and taxes thing that everybody talks about, the one constant in life is change. And the scary part is, as we had talked about last time, often that is change that is inflicted on us, or so it feels. Change that happens without our consultation. But today, we get to put some hope back into that subject. Seeing the change that we initiate, that we start, in other words, trying to make change, using change to make things better, to grow, working out for good. Consider the idea for a second of New Year's resolutions. Okay, Usually New Year's resolutions involve some kind of change that we want to see in our life. And yes, sometimes that is a the kinds of things we wish we could just snap our fingers and poof, it's done. And, and by January 2nd, hey, whatever we want is there. But people often want to change something, usually for the better. And, and to build on the theme that Paul is going to lay out in this part of, of his letter, it often involves, or a lot of the resolutions that I hear or make, Involve changing something about our health. Right? We want to grow stronger. We want to grow healthier. Certainly good things. And that growth, to get healthier, to get stronger, to get better, yeah, requires change. And sometimes that's even a little bit uncomfortable. Um, these last couple of weeks... And on for the next couple of months, I've gotten the chance to get Zed to um, work out with Andrew and the other black belt, boot ca- black belt candidates before they get to test for their, uh, for their black belts in December. And more than many of the other workouts that we have done together, they are uncomfortable, to say the least. They were pushed 
harder we do more of each exercise. And this is after we've already been working out for two hours by the time we start this whole thing. But we all grow through those struggles and through that discomfort. As we get to to see a little bit as we go on. But that self-discipline is tough. Sticking with it. That's why, to use my previous example, you see so few people get to the point where they are getting ready to test for a black belt. All these people, um, we had a dozen of them yesterday, and they've been working for probably four plus years consistently, pushing themselves and, and growing and learning and growing through many times of discomfort to get to this point. That's why gym memberships, Steam the tank after about Valentine's Day. As all the New Year's resolutions are like, oh, wait, this is a little harder than I thought it was. Uh, see you guys next year when I make the resolution again. Hopefully, we're not in a change or else kind of situation. Where maybe we get, I'm going to stick with the, the health theme a little bit here, that the doctor comes and says, all right, we got the test results. Guess what? A couple things need to change. And something happens, and we get very strongly motivated to, to change something about our, the way we do things. Our habits, our diet, our exercise, things like that. And, and I stick to that theme of, of health, because that's the, the engine Paul's going to use as he is writing this part of the letter. Because he's writing to a culture, a Greek culture that values Physique and physical prowess and um, physical achievement. But he says, he gives advice to young Pastor Tim, saying there is a, a calling, a way of staying fit that goes beyond just trimmed Adonis muscles. He says it in five verses that I'm going to read here out of 1 Timothy 4. This is verses 6 through 10. He says to Timothy, if you put these instructions before the brothers and sisters, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with wives' tales or profane myths and old wives' tales, but rather train yourself in godliness. For while physical training is of some value, and God did create the human body, so to take care of it is certainly of value, godliness is valuable in every way, holding promise both for the present life and for the life to come. This saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and struggle, because we have set our hope, we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. And Paul uses that physical metaphor, train yourself. It's one of the, if you were to, to look at um, these five verses, there's three or four verses, or three or four verbs that Paul has that are driving the whole thing. When you, you break down the translations and all that kind of stuff. And, and train yourself is, is one of those. It's where we get our word gymnasium. It comes from the word for Train yourself. And again, Paul's writing into a culture that probably spent as much time 
in gymnasiums as they did sleeping or doing anything else. They valued the physical achievement. And it's one more proof of Paul being able to take a timeless message and relate it and, and speak it into an in-time culture or an in-time setting. But again, he reminds us that there is a calling that goes beyond just the big muscles or the Olympic records. And he reminds Timothy, rather, train yourself in godliness. Now I want to insert a, a bit of a pause here and, and not skip over Paul's words because because Paul says in 1 Timothy 8, 4, 8, he says, while physical training is of some value, godliness is valuable in every way, holding promise both for the present life and for the life to come. So this goal, train yourself in God, has eternal ramifications beyond just the physical body that, yes, God created us to take care of and that we believe houses the, the Holy Spirit who lives within us. But beyond that, there's a goal. Train yourself in godliness. So what exactly is this whole godliness thing about? Because we can skip over it and just let our eyes glide over it and say, well, okay, godliness, well, we can assume we know what that means and, and just keep going and sort of miss the whole point. So I want you to repeat this after me so that you get to participate in this as well. Godliness is more than holiness. Let's do this one more time, just so we can have all three parts up on the screen at the same time. Godliness is more than holiness. Okay. If you get nothing else out of this, get that. Now, why do I, why do I drive that point home? Because... We can look at it and go, well, okay, let's break this whole thing down. We have God and we have holy. Well, those are two Christianese words. that We get what those are. They both end in leanness. So, hey, we can just assume we know what they, what they mean. And one means the other and the other means the one. And all that and totally miss the difference. Because... Holiness, when we think of it, it often, we often get this image, at least I do, of externals, right? The way people behave, the things we see. That phrase that came out of the holiness movement back in the day, we don't smoke, drink, or chew, or hang with folks who do. I'm sure there are other flavors of that that have gone around, but you get the idea. And for the holiness movement that, well, certainly doesn't exist today, but that's a whole other series, that was central. Behavior modification was central to faith. And while Christianity is not a free-for-all when it comes to externals, to behavior, as Paul says in Romans 6, 1, 1 and 2, says, what are we to say then? After he's given this message about how when we sin, Great, um, grace and mercy just keep measuring up and keep overshadowing sin. He says, what are we then to say? Should we continue in sin in order that grace may abound? By no means. 
How can we who died this and go on living in it? So there is certainly a place that we don't get the free-for-all when it comes to, well, hey, we've got grace. We've got Jesus. We can do whatever we want. But morality and behavior isn't central to our hope. That godliness is a devotion to God. It's like the best parts. If you remember back from the 90s, and I realized when I said this, um, when I was recording the online part, that most of the people who are going to see this weren't even around in the 90s. They wouldn't know what the WWJD movement was all about, or that trend of what would Jesus do. Kind of the best parts of that, that we would consider God in all parts of our lives. Yes, in the externals and the decisions and the things that we choose to do, but also in our thoughts, in our desires, in our decisions. Yes, sometimes in our actions. I think of it as godliness is like the best parts of relating to your spouse, minus all the things that you thought, okay, after we're married, I'm going to change this about them, and I'm going to change that about them, and that about them, and... They picked up on that one. (laughs) Rather, action, what we might call right living, what we think of when it comes to the idea of holiness, comes out of this. Um, This is what John says in 1 John 5. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey His commandments. For the love of God is this, that we obey His commands. Yes, this is kind of dealing with the externals, yes. But we know His commandments are not burdensome. See, the abundant life starts with loving God. And all the externals, all the behavior stuff comes out of that. Rather than starting all of it. It it flows out of that relationship. In much the same way that To use the the spouse metaphor, if you love your spouse, you want to do good things for them. You want to be kind to them. You want to compliment them. You want to take them out on a date or, or buy them a gift or tell them that they look lovely or handsome, whichever the case may be. You don't do that stuff in order to fall in love with them, but you do it out of an overflow of love for them. Without the burden of feeling like it's a duty or an obligation. So what helps to fuel this? Well, Paul says uh, in verse 6, he says, if you put these instructions before the brothers and sisters, and yes, we are starting in chapter 4, so there was three chapters of writing that has gone on before, hence we're kind of in the middle of an episode here, if you will. If you put these instructions before the brothers and sisters, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Nourished on the words of the faith and the sound teaching that you have followed. Notice the verb that he uses there. Nourished. It's a sense of, or comes in the sense of being trained in. Now both hold certain connotations that work, whichever translation you want to use. Um, Think about it this way. We'll pull this into the the 21st century here. Can your body be nourished properly if you have one meal a week? 
Let me give you a little hint. It's not going to work. Linda, do you think Jerry's Hospital would uh, not be in the news if they, like, hey, let's just feed our patients one meal a week. And it's hospital food that's hot. No, it ain't happening. Likewise, again, since Paul has this speaking to this culture that values physique, can you get in top physical shape if you work out one time a month? Guess what? Not happening. Can you may know if, if you haven't touched skis in a month, it, it's going to take you a little bit to kind of get back into it. To the point where hopefully you do it a couple times and, and with regularity. There's, there's kind of the idea behind it. It starts to become easier. So we eat. Here's where I, I go with this. We eat three times a day, ideally. And our body meta- digests and metabolizes all those nutrients that we take in. If we were to work out three times a, day, three times a week, three times a day, those days are gone. <laughs> our body recovers and our body you know, synthesizes the proteins to build muscle and rests and everything like that and rebuilds. I know I'm, I'm a bit elongating the point, but it's not just about putting food in our mouths. Right? That's not all that nourishment is about. It's not just about lifting a weight or pressing the start button on the treadmill. We don't consume the words of faith just for information. But it's the same way that food and exercise help our bodies beyond just the act of taking in food or lifting the weights. We are nourished for transformation. For something that goes beyond just having the, the knowledge downloaded into our cerebral cortex. And think about it this way. You ever know somebody who has a thousand Bible verses memorized and they're still a jerk? I, I, when I was a, a, a young Christian on spiritual milk, Bible memorization was an important uh, discipline that we practiced. Just for the sake of always having the Word, and there's certainly a value to it, but just to take that one example, you can have all the information, and it doesn't go anywhere from the head, the 12 inches down to the heart. We, when Paul uses that word, nourished on the words of the faith, he means it not to just be stuck in the head as information, but to go down into our hearts and transform us. That it, it does something. The way that food doesn't just go into your mouth, but as it gets digested, it, it helps your body do what your body is designed to do. So that we end up pursuing not just hope based on a living God, but that we pursue a living God who gives us hope. Do you hear the difference in that? Let me take it one step further. Go back to verse uh, 6 again. If you put these instructions before the brothers and sisters, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. It's that first part that I really want to emphasize. Try that idea. 
sometimes. You really want to, yes, sometimes be a little bit uncomfortable, but in a way that will definitely help you to grow. Try that idea of teaching these instructions to the brothers and sisters. Teaching how these words of the faith, to use Paul's words, are nourishing you. Richard Feynman was probably considered one of the best science teachers of his day. I think he taught at Caltech. And what is actually known as the Feynman method of learning, I think there's six or seven steps to it, and like four of those steps are how do you teach what you're learning to somebody else. And we see, as I had mentioned, as the four, heaven help Lori, of them walked out to Sunday school. The teacher ends up learning sometimes just as much by the very act of teaching. So here's a challenge. Anything that you are learning about as you are nourished on the words of the faith. Anything you're learning about, growing about, even if you don't have it all figured out, how would you explain it or teach it or maybe share it as a better word with a first grader? That ends up getting to be a little bit of a challenge. Rachel and I are often talking about, um, you know, teaching kids and, and things like that because, you know, it's sort of a part of the parenting thing. But I've always gravitated towards being able to teach junior high and high school because it's like, oh, if I got to use a $6 word, I'm free to use the $6 word. And they'll tend to understand it or I can just sort of hide it in there. When I'm dealing with... Kindergartners with first or second grades that her bread and butter, kids are just looking at her like, what? How do we take a, uh, a concept that we're learning about or growing about, again, even if we don't have it all figured out, how would we explain it or teach it or share it to somebody who doesn't know all the big words or know all the leannesses that we have in Christianity? It can be useful in Helping the word be more than just information for us, but rather something that nourishes our spirit and draws us closer to the God of living hope. The whole point of what Paul is trying to get Timothy to do. So this week, let that idea of nourishment kind of guide your day. And if you are in a time of prayer, of Bible study, of fasting, something like that, those spiritual disciplines that help us to be nourished. Start with this. And the cool thing is, this is something you can do, whether you, this is your first time cracking open a Bible and, and you open it and you hear it creak, or you've done this and your Bible is more highlights than non-highlights. Start with God. Use this to help me grow closer to you. Use this to help me grow closer to you. The cool thing is you don't have to know anything about how God's going to do it. But God will. And may you see and experience in that the hope that goes beyond just information, beyond just what gets stuck in here but rather it leads to life-giving transformation.
Let's pray together. Lord, this day we thank you for the gift of your word. For the, the words that you chose to breathe into existence. That nourish our spirits. That are, give us all we need to know in order to be transformed by you. So help us to absorb it. Help us to digest it. Help it, us to allow it to nourish us. So that our relationship with you could be an experience of true, abundant life, both in this age and the one to come. All this we pray in your name. Amen.